When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on Anfield Index Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Denny and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Crystal Palace 1, Liverpool 2 in the Premier League from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman. Uh, Dave, my take on, 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 on the game was kind of summed up in a little tweet at the end, which is we ain't playing well. Um, it's tough to watch, but there is a feeling that this side are making themselves for want of a better word, inevitable. Uh, it's it's a bad situation to be in when you're when you're relying as a fan on us digging it out in the last couple of minutes. But there's a feeling that this side can do that. Now you don't want to be like I say relying on it, but damn it, it's a good sign, Dave. It is a good sign, Trev. It is very much. And like we we talked to the the three of us on on Wednesday night after. Sheffield United, and we made the point like the only thing that matters in these type of games is the result. How you get there is less important. It is about results, especially at this time of year when you can't win the title, but you can certainly lose it. And what we've done from a pressurized situation where Arsenal win on the Tuesday night and go five points ahead of us, we've now gone a point ahead of them and they have to go to Villa this evening and win to go back ahead of us because we have a superior goal difference to them. So I think we have right to be quite happy with how that's worked out today obviously the the bigger feeling is probably relief because we we were absolutely shocking and who knew that referee decisions could go in our favor and aid us in in getting a result but look you take it and i i'm sure we'll get into the the team and that but like you know the, the the starting 11 did not work at all but the subs the subs really changed it. And Joe Gomez coming on at halftime, he was voted man of the match on the TNT broadcast. He was excellent. Curtis Jones came on and all of a sudden the midfield started to make a bit more sense. 
because you had someone just doing the simple stuff and doing it well. And obviously, Harvey Elliott. I mean, Trev, I have to call you out because on Wednesday night, you said his little legs couldn't kick the ball that far. And I've been told to call you out, so here I am doing it. I, I, that's slander. I, I recall no such statement. I recall no such statement. I see myself being spoken about in this regard, and I do not remember saying that. But if it, you, it was windy today, then maybe that's what did it. <laughs> the wind caught it and blew it an extra 10 yards. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you can hear Jim Boardman there. Let's bring Jim in for his Im- immediate thoughts as well. And, you know, Jim, there's no de- two ways about it. We're, the referee has insinuated himself into the centre of the story again. There's no way we're not going to be able to talk about Andy Madley. Uh, also, I feel like there may well be and uh, shout out to Niall Purcell. It will be a prick watch coming up later on as well. So do, do brace yourselves for that, folks. Uh, but, you know, narrative driving aside, and there was a lot of that going on from the commentary team on TNT, I'll tell you that. Uh, it, it, it's it's we we can't be in any way smug about that victory. What we can be in terms of the performance, what we can be is just very very satisfied uh, by the result. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I've I've been to games, I've been watched games on TV for years where you can watch. Um, you know, if you stop time at eighty minutes and ask me how I felt, I'd be like fuming, despondent, all of these you know all of these negative words. But then, you know, you're walking out the ground later on, you're walking away from the TV later on, and it's like. My God, you're you're in you're on a high, you're full of joy. You've just seen your team come back and win, and it's the job, I suppose, of us a little bit on here, and definitely the job of the coaches and the staff to kind of look at everything that happened up until the point where we made Liverpool fans smile. But um, <clears throat> the important thing is really that we did make Liverpool fans smile. I wish we could. Um, I don't know what the right word is. I wish we didn't need to have something to react to, to to play to the best of our abilities. But I'm glad that when we have got something to react to, that we see Liverpool playing so well, because this is what we've been really good at. Um, you know, I mean, in, <clears throat> in some ways, maybe maybe opposition teams should think about not scoring against us until the last possible moment and not give us the time to react, because, you know, we, we do seem to suddenly find a, a way to find extra gears. And that's... That's all that matters, though, isn't it? As we've said the other day, as we're saying, as we're saying today, the three points are what matters because at the end of the season, when everything's all done and dusted, if we're at the top of that table at the end of the season, we're not going to go back and think, oh, yeah, we were lucky that AU had a, a rush of blood to the head and got himself a second yellow. That's not going to get a mention. That's all forgotten. Um, and football is all about... I don't know, being a football fan, the stuff that you remember that you enjoy remembering are those great moments and seeing Mo get his landmark goal and seeing Harvey Elliott and his little legs hitting the ball into the back of the net, that's, <laughs> they're the moments you'll not forget. You know, they come back and come back and come back into your mind. You know, there's a there's a, a medieval picture that I post on Twitter a lot, and in the foreground there's a lad slicing off his meat into veg, and in the background there's another lad diving into a fire. And I really thought that's basically what Raw is going to be. And then all of a sudden it turns around again, and that's a joy. That is a joy. We've been we've been looking now that this has uh, has been our experience for the last couple of games. I do feel there might be an element of of, of that luck uh, to it, and you know it's. You can start making fanciful um, uh, calls about, you know, are we are we inevitable? Is the is there really uh, something special to be had this season? And you know, you're so right. And I spoke to Jan Molby about this on our show on Thursday evening. Um, 
the, the, I, we, when we look back on seasons, and he pointed out, with the exception of the 88 campaign and, and the 2020 campaign, Liverpool's title winning seasons are by no means processions, right? So there are always painful fucking afternoons like this one and several of the others we've had recently in a row. But it is obviously all about putting those um, wins together and, and wrapping those points up. And, you know, Dave, the way you laid it out there is very, very interesting. We have that sort of lovely um, uh, relaxation that we can have for a couple of hours now and see if Arsenal can do the business and not be too pissed off if they do and be delighted if they don't. And that's a nice position to be going into regardless. And the, the, the potential of being top um, on merit at this point, I think, is um, very, very exciting indeed. And let's, Dave, just before before we get into the details of the match, take a little bit of time to talk about um, the teams as we always do. Um, now, I know you'll have had a look at Crystal Palace. So we've got, if you don't mind, we'll start with them uh, and we'll finish with the Liverpool one. Because, you know, at, at this point, it, the the Liverpool selection process is very much whatever Jürgen thinks is going to be um, managing the minutes. It seems to be very much pretty much um, guided by that. Palace today went with Johnston and they had uh, their captain Ward, Anderson and Gway and uh, Klein across the back. Uh, Richards, Lerma, Schlupp and Hughes and Ayu and Edward were their um, midfielders and attacking um, formation. And under Roy Hodgson, uh, who is very much the definition of a terrible set of lads. They have had this sort of uh, they, like like clubs often do under Hodgson mid table to lower table clubs often have this period of adjustment and uh, solidity when he takes over. He is very much a one trick pony and eventually the hodginess begins to tell uh, and after a little while it doesn't really matter who the club is there will be that period where it starts to go if not backwards then certainly sideways and you have that feeling that it's potentially getting there with this guy now uh, there's no love lost between me and that 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 chap i i i, I can't be too positive about him to hear um him compared to jürgen klopp by uh, Fletch early shout Fletch will be the, f- the focus of prick watch to hear him being compared to Jurgen Klopp and these two men between them you know they've got X and Y amount of uh, um, uh, matches played and they've seen it all they've done it all and then his sidekick Lucy chimes in with oh and they changed the fortunes of their football clubs I mean please don't compare apples and oranges I mean what are we to say about Crystal Palace? A lot of very good footballers. And when you look at their bench, they've got Elise, obviously Edse is out injured. Tompkins is on there. Matthews, Franca, Mateta came on. Ahamada came on. Riedewald came on. Ozo came on. It's not a bad bench. Um, and like I say, one or two fellas out as well. It's a decent squad. He should be at least mid-table uh, and safely so. Mm, yeah, I mean, this is t- it's a really good Crystal Palace squad. Um, today, they're obviously they're missing Tyreek Mitchell, who's a good left back, who's always done well against Mo. They're missing Dekure, who's their best midfield player, and they're missing Eberichi uh, Eze, who might be their best player, full stop. Plus, like you said, Olise's on the bench. Um, it is a very talented squad. Those two boys at centre back, Anderson and Guehi, are excellent. Jefferson Lerma is a good player. Will Hughes is a good player. And as an aside, really nice to see Will Hughes have a really good game because, number one, he's a huge red. Number two, he 
when he was like 17, 18, was one of the most highly rated players in the country. And he had a horrendous knee injury, I think, when he was like 19, 20, and it completely altered the course of his career. So nice to see him playing well, especially when we win the game and his side lose. But, you know, good to see that he's had a, a good career after that horrific injury. Um, but they should be. I mean, they should be better than they are. Roy is, he is the definition of a low expectation motherfucker. That's what he is. <laughs> like, he comes into a club. It doesn't matter what club it is. It can be Crystal Palace. It can be Liverpool. And Roy has a very specific aim in mind. He's going to finish between 11th and 14th. He's going to get between 43 and 45 points. And that's it. Utopia. Utopia. Uh, yeah, Utopia. And as far as he's concerned, his only job is to keep them in the division. That's, that, that is the extent of Roy Hodgson's ambition. Like, Roy probably has a local trophy maker. And he <laughs> sends his wife down every year at the end of the season to get him another trophy, the, the avoiding relegation trophy. And he's got a mantelpiece full of them in the gaff. And when people talk about what Pep has won and what Klopp has won, he looks at his mantelpiece and thinks, well, I've kept my team in the Premier League more seasons than them. Because that's all he cares about. And nobody's told him for the last, five, the last five years, his wife's just been recycling the old ones and giving them <laughs> Yeah, back that's to exactly him, it, because he's gone senile. <laughs> like, he came out during the week and he said the Crystal Palace fans have been spoiled by their home form. They've won one game at home this season. One They've drawn one, won one, and lost. The rest have been atrocious. And, like, it's been like this for years on with Palace. You have to go back to, like, I think 2013, 14, to the last time they won more than eight home games. And even eight is a strong number for them. It's normally five or six. What have they been spoiled by? It's not like they're going there and watching good football. Like, it's not like when Eddie Howe was at Bournemouth and they were winning five and six and seven home games a year. But the football was really good. The football is atrocious. And the results are atrocious. And me and Guy went through this about two years ago on two-footed. If you look at the last 30 years of Crystal Palace managers, it is a who's who of gammon and dinosaurs. Oh, wow. It's it's, it's absolutely stunning. I mean, like, literally the, what, all of them have been there. Warnock's been there. Pulis has been there. Sam was there. Um, um, what's your man's name? The dancing twat. Pardew was there. Pardew. Like it's horrendous the managers they've had. Yeah. And they're, and they're this clown back again. And like, they, I would argue if you gave them, they've got Dean Henderson and Sam Johnson. That's good goalkeepers. Really good centre backs. Good left back. Give them a new right back. Get Dakure back fit. You've got Lerma, you've got Hughes, you've got Ahmad. It's a good midfield group. You've got Richards can play midfielder defence or right back. He's a good player. You've got Eze, Olise, and the Matthias Franke kid that Roy seems to hate. This Brazilian magician that Roy won't give any minutes to. Like, they're probably a right back and a striker away from being a team that could be like Brighton under the right manager. Because the talent is there. Like you, you can't look at their team and look at Brighton's team and think there's an enormous talent gap because the likes of the two centre-backs, Elise, Eze, they'd all start for Brighton. And like they're, they're big rivals. And surely Palace fans have got to be looking and going, hang on, we've been in this division on and off for the last 30 years. 
they've probably been in the Premier League over 20 of the last, well over 20 of the last 30 years. Brighton have been in the division about six years. And Brighton are in Europe. They're playing wonderful football. They're a joy to watch. Everybody admires watching them. And Palace are here humping their way up the pitch. It's horrendous. But it's what he does. And I couldn't be happier for him today. Like, he got a Klopp hug. So, you know, maybe he goes, maybe that's not a trophy, but a plaque that he'll, he'll hang on the wall. <laughs> got a, clo- a hug off Klopp. Oh. Um, I hope it wasn't a proper clap hug because it oh, no, crushed it was, his ribs, yeah. won't he? No, it was a proper hug. Oh, but, God. like, they set their team up. Like, you saw their team and you thought, back four with no attacking fullback, three defensive midfielders, one of whom is a centre-back, two wingers who never score, one of whom generally plays in midfield. That's a 4-5-1. They're setting out to not get hammered. That's Roy's only thought here. Let's get through this game and not get hammered. He had no ambition to win the game at all. And he didn't get his win. So good enough for him. He got what he deserved. They got what they deserved ultimately today. Yes, they made it hard for us. Yes, we relied on Allison to make two outrageous saves. But this is what Roy is. And until Crystal Palace rid themselves of him... This is what they're going to be. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah. Uh, that it, it, it is it is stunning and there's some sort of aura has built up around them I think even the appointment of Vieira f- for a while there's something about uh, this club but you know it, to, to add to your list I mean I can remember Steve Bruce there I think Peter Taylor was there I know George Burley was there Sam Ian Holloway Allardyce. was there Sam Allardyce Tony Pulis you've mentioned I mean oh, yeah. they, there is a certain sort of a of a, of a cachet yeah uh, it's horrendous like it's genuinely horrendous you go back you look Steve Koppel used to play exciting football Terry Venables played exciting football after them Steve Bruce Trevor Francis Kit Simons Ian Dowie Peter Taylor Neil Warnock Paul Hart, George Burley, Dougie Friedman, he played good football, to be fair, and then he abandoned them to go and take over another job, and then they welcomed him back as sporting director. Ian Fleming, Tony Pulis, Keith Millen had a bunch of uh, caretaker roles, Neil Warnock, Alan Pardew, Curtis Fleming had had a caretaker spell, Sam Allardyce, Frank DeBoer they brought in, gave him five games in the league and binned him off, Vieira, like the football wasn't great, but it was far better than what we're seeing on the Disseguit, 
and now Hodgson again. Like, yeah, they've just, imagine, that's imagine 30 years. 30 years of hurt, and imagine going back to Roy. I mean, it's it's a remarkable it's a remarkable statement uh, to make uh, for a Premier League club. I have to say, uh, I, it's it's it, it just shows you this will not go away. This this, this residual uh, crew, what what Bob Mortimer calls the destroy and exit crew of uh, a lot of them have been mentioned there, and yeah, I I probably wrote Moisey in there, Mark Hughes, perhaps at this stage too. There's that kind of little crew who just will always they they will inevitably get jobs but Hodgson is absolutely at the pinnacle of that we'll obviously talk about Palace as we go along and Hodgie himself because he comes back into it not just because of the uh, the Klopp uh, embrace at the end and he did seem to be getting some sympathetic noises made in his direction by Klopp but also because uh, it's just Hodge and I can't uh, stop myself from having digs but Jim to look at the Liverpool lineup. We go with um, Alison, who's back now. My God, did we ever see the difference that that man makes? Uh, it could not have been more profoundly stated. I almost felt sorry for Quivian Kelleher because he makes a, 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 a couple of absolutely world class stops. One of them um, towards the end of the game, not mentioned, of course, by by Fletch and his sidekick. Is why would you? But the, it would have been ruled off, uh, ruled out for offside, and it goes for a corner as well, which uh, led to a lot of pressure for us uh, that we had to endure. But anyway, more of that. And on Allison, Trent, Quanza, Van Dyke, and Simicus is our nominal back four. But of course, we're doing the thing with Trent. Endo Sabozlai and Gravenberg was three picked in midfield. Salah, Nunes, and Diaz are nominal best three up top. And um, not a great afternoon for many of the players I've just mentioned, if we're being perfectly honest. On the bench, we obviously have Keller now, Gomez, Kanate, Jones, Elliott, all of who come on. Bradley and McConnell are on there alongside Gakpo and Doak and Cody makes an appearance too, to some effect. We needed our subs bench badly this afternoon, Jim. Did you understand the lineup? What did you think of it? Did you think it had merit? Were you raising an eyebrow at one or two of them? Or what were your general thoughts on how we went from the start today? I think before the match, I would have said, first of all, I'd not heard Klopp's press conference, so I had no, I don't know if it was mentioned, I had no idea that Ali would be back. Um, I kind of resigned myself to not seeing him until maybe the United game, but he was back and straight away. I felt like that's a huge difference for us. Um, <clears throat> as long as he's not being rushed back. Um, and I, and I'm thinking as well, we wouldn't rush him back because I think as much as Queeves has had a you know a bit of a shaky game last weekend, he was okay. In the other two games, you know, he did enough, and I don't think we'd have rushed rushed Ali back if he wasn't ready. And clearly, as we saw as the game went on, he was ready. When I saw Kwanzaa starting, I thought that perhaps Canate's got a knock of some kind, got an injury. I didn't think Kwanzaa would have been in on on merit alone, but at the same time, I wasn't worried because we, we said the other day that there's a definite defender in there who'll learn. Um, you know, whatever we think of his game today, I think today there's a plenty, plenty of stuff there for him to learn from. You know, the stuff that he's picked up in the game. I could see Van Dyke having words with him regularly. And, um, you know, I hope it doesn't knock his confidence that he came off after giving away a penalty. Not having any time to put it right must have been frustrating for him as well. Um, but, you know, so be it. And other than that, if I like the team pretty much picked itself, the only the only shock, I suppose, is um, it's not even a shock, is who you pick out the four fit front three players, if you get what I mean. So, um as it turned out, maybe Cody would have been a better a better option because um, I think he definitely made a difference when he came on. But um, I think as you know, we we sort of knew when we saw the lineup though that it was going to be the usual thing. Trent was going to be playing right back and moving to the centre, and he did. Um, I just don't think it helps us today, and it doesn't sometimes. I think when you're playing against a team that kind of just 
clutters the middle and doesn't want anything to become coming through the middle then surely you just say okay we'll go around the outside then and um it just i think sometimes we're just a bit too narrow and you know making the decision to kind of bring another fullback on and letting trent be a midfielder for the rest of the game to me is more sensible than having him sort of being neither one nor the other you know um he's not effective enough because we need the width and we've not got it you know I think um, having Trent in midfield and there's someone to pass too wide would be a bit of a help but there isn't so even when he gets on the ball um, like a lot of players he's looking up in front of him and seeing no movement I mean there's more movement from Roy Hodgson at times than there is from that Liverpool lineup, and that's that's again you see it less on the TV but I've noticed it when I've been to games lately Um you just sort of look at a play and you think, where could he pass to? And, and time and again, there's no one, there's no one in a good position. No one's sort of looking to make a move. No one looking to just pull, pull away from a marker or anything like that. Just far too often that we're just sort of static and sitting around. And um, you might argue it's patient build up, but it doesn't have to test my patience to see it. Um, just quickly, actually, on Roy, I think just to because you know you have to get it off your chest when Roy's mentioned. The thing about him is, it's all about setting expectations, and he did that at Anfield. He came to Anfield on the on this on the back of this amazing record overseas. But when you actually went to look at his amazing record overseas, it was pretty shite to be quite honest. And the way he made a name for himself was by winning occasional things in Scandinavian football, where you kind of get your trophies based on playoffs and. That's what made him a good choice as an England manager in a way because it's tournament football and sometimes win one, draw one, lose one can get you through to the next stage and you can kind of go out as, you know, honourable losers because I don't think it crosses Roy's mind to go and win a competition to, you know, to have success. And I think as, as Palace fans now, they've been in the top flight for 12, 13, 14 years, wherever it is, and to not show any ambition to be sort of fighting for, for a regular spot in Europe Um you know, and I mean properly, sort of wanting to get that is 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 something. If I was a, if I was a Palace fan, I'd be wanting to raise that because they're in London, they're in the capital. All this corporate money is available to them if they sort of spend it right and do it right. They had uh, Wolverine there today. You know, they've got they've got the ability to make a lot of money as well as the Premier League money that you get, and they seem quite happy to stay as this small time club with its stupid annoying drum that you know it's you know that belongs in the old division four not the premier league and until they change then that's what they're going to be and i can see the fans being frustrated but you know rice probably setting the expectations where they should be because to me it feels like that's what the club's expectations actually are but the other thing jim jim is that like south london is the biggest hotspot for young talent Mm. in england maybe in europe after Paris, maybe. But South London is full of incredible young players. And they should be the club going out and snatching those players up at, you know, 12, 13, bringing them into academy and having this academy that's overflowing with elite level talents. And it's either making them money because they sell them on or it's exactly. making them a good team. Or the, but then the money makes you have a good team, doesn't it? That's it helps the thing. You, yeah. you, you develop them to either put them in your own first team and then sell them later or you develop them to sell them young and you reinvest that money, but they don't do any of that. Uh, I was wrong. It's only 14 Premier League seasons they've actually had in the top flight so far. For some reason, it seems like they've always been in the top flight, but they were out of it for about 10 years between 94, 95 and uh, 04, 05. And then again for eight years, nine years after eight years after a one season reappearance. So, They've actually spent more time in the lower leagues than I thought, but like they've been in the Premier League every season since thirteen fourteen. They've never finished in 
they, sorry, uh, they finished in the top half once, 10th. Well, you know, there there you go with the expectations thing. And it seems as if maybe in Roy Hodgson, a guy who is, as Jim says, world class at managing expectations, they've probably met their soulmate. That's probably what it is, because I'll never forget. I think Jim might have alluded to it there. The sort of misty eyed romanticism of Hodgson as he was being unveiled as Liverpool manager in the yeah. press conference. And he was talking about his career and how it went from Halmstad to Arebro and let's say, to Malmo to Neuchatel Zama. And I'm like, wow, wow, what, 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 what bastions of European football. And I have actually come across a quote that I need to share with the world here because Hodgson says himself, and I quote, my greatest achievement, and this is the most Roy Hodgson quote ever, I want you to think about this quote let it settle with you and who it is that Haji is actually comparing him to himself to here my greatest achievement says Haji would have to be the water into wine job at Halmstad BK that was in 19 in the 1970s when he was Jesus apparently <laughs> Do you know like he won two league titles with them the he won water into wine job don't yeah you? He won the fourth division title in Sweden then with Arebro. He won two league titles. He might have won more. He won a bunch of league titles at Malmo. Like a bunch of league titles at Malmo. But that's that's kind of it. Like Halmstad, Malmo, and he won a league title with Copenhagen. And that's it. That's it for a career in which this guy has been managing since 1976. We're coming up on 50 years of the Hodge and all he's won is a few pots and pans in Scandinavia. Like, well, he, he is, he is, he is nominally at least for a good portion of the, uh, of the, of the world's community. Also, apparently the savior. I hadn't realized that until now. And it's very, very revealing. I wonder if he's got it the wrong way around because, you know, around in the seventies and eighties, the top managers that were starting to do well were the ones who turned the, the, the club sort of culture from wine into water. Cause you know, there were too many players to be out on the pit the night before a game. I don't know. <laughs> he's the anti-Wenger. I love him. He's the anti-Wenger. Uh, let's, get started Jim you and I with the details of the first half uh, because honestly I, I was struggling to write anything down so what we'll do is we'll take it up as far as the controversial penalty situation on the half hour mark you and I um, the, 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 all I could t- make a note of for the first few minutes is is my absolute fascination at Fletch who I'm going to mar- flag up now I'm going to come back to this guy a lot because he was actually on a tear of obnoxious commentary today uh, aided and abetted by his pal but very much him I think uh, and of course he had Rio Ferdinand to back him up back in the TNT studios that's just gorgeous uh, but again the chat about um, uh, the comparisons between Kloppo and Hodge as if their peers was remarkable stuff. And really the first thing of note was there was a half decent break uh, from a corner on 12 minutes. Uh, Moe's ball in toward the goal where there were two people to aim at was a little bit too close to the keeper Johnston and he claimed it. Um, in those opening goings, it was obvious that Darwin was going to be offside a lot. And I think that's one of the things, perhaps, that people might have a little bit of a quizzical eyebrow raised at the kid about in terms of, oh, there's another one to add into the must do better in terms of learning his trade thing. Because a lot of people have, have, have noticed that he does get himself caught offside a lot where the run could be just maybe a little bit more canny 
Um, there was a half de- decent cross by Trent on 15 minutes that led to a corner, but nothing from that. And then we followed up with a couple of blocked shots from Gravenberg and, and, and Dom Sabozlai. Um Tidy enough football from us, Jim. Endo, I thought, looked bright in that period. Liked how he passed the ball. There was a couple of occasions as the match went on where I think he got a little bit monstered in physical challenges and people then will actually start to raise their eyebrows again. But overall, not a bad out- outing for him, certainly in this opening 2025. Um, I did love how Endo kicked Edward up in the air in 25 minutes uh, doing his Jimmy Miller tribute act. Um, they had one attack on 27 minutes. Their one attack, and it required a brilliant save from Alison Becker from Lerma, um, where he uh, touches the effort onto the post and then claws away the rebound from the post, which is headed back goalward again. All it took was a simple ball into the back post from Ayu, who was allowed to advance down the right and curl that ball in. Um, it had that feel and it stayed with us that we were vulnerable for the entirety of the match. And on 28 minutes, there was a penalty incident where Will Hughes fouled Endo. Uh, he uh, Hughes uh, plays the ball into uh, an area where VVD has to take down the attacker. Uh, and it's definitely a foul by Virgil on the attacker. Uh, and it goes to VAR because of the foul on Endo in the buildup. Um, the thing takes ages. Eventually, Madley gets sent to the monitor. He watches, I think, approximately 11,000 times <laughs> from different angles at different speeds. And I don't know what he's won. I, maybe he's waiting for the, the magic version where uh, something happens uh, that he gets to see uh, is some intervention from, from, from the skies or something, because I cannot understand how it took him so long. He clearly really wanted to back himself and it took endless replays of a clear foul on Endo. It's not like you have to roll the play back. It's the key pass into the guy who gets fouled by Virgil. Virgil picks up that yellow. That yellow gets rescinded because, again, eventually, um, Andy Madley, who, like I said on Twitter, I think Andy Madley probably still thinks that Kendi wasn't shot. He'd like to see another replay. (laughs) You know what I mean? He'd like to see it from a few different angles. But eventually, it is ruled out by Madley, who can't do anything else because it is a clear foul on Endo. So the first 28, 30 minutes, what was your take on that, including the penalty incident? And Dave, don't worry, I'll let you get in on this to take it us through to the end of the first half then. But Jim, first of all, your thoughts on that first 20, 28, 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean, my, my first thing I wrote down was actually how loud the Liverpool fans were and how quiet they were, which is, um, I think one of my worries when we go to Palace is how loud they can be as fans and how that can kind of put pressure on an away team. Um, yet yeah, today, the Liverpool fans were well louder, at least at least for some of the game, let's say. I mean, later on, it may be changed. Um, and I'd also written down Darwin offside um, again. I'd written it down a couple of times and I'm thinking the same thing. You know, he does get caught offside a little bit too much. You know, again... There's a lot of good about him. There's going to be a lot of good to come from him. But that's another one of the little things on his list that maybe he needs to work on a little bit more. And I'm sure I'm sure he can because there's so much good about him that, you know, these little things can, can be worked on. I hope they can anyway. Um, another frustration we may have written down here is that we, you know, we lost the ball from our own throw and they, they had a chance. And um, there was there was another point where I think Gravenberg's just poor pass. They won the ball. And um, I think that's what's actually led to the amazing save from Ali, which... 
Prior to that, the only thing we'd really noticed from him was um, he, he had the ball at his feet way outside the box. And, you know, there's one of those moments where you think, oh, shit, what's going to happen? But, you know, he found a player. And my frustration that I wrote down then was no one's moving for him. You know, the, goal, the goalkeeper's almost up to the centre circle. There's Bally's players not that far from him. And, you know, there's no one giving him an option, you know, and that that's a frustration. If you keep us up there, get him somewhere to give the ball to, you know, don't don't force him into a situation that could lead to an error. Um, you know, but as it was, that was the closest thing to anything I think anyone could criticise Ali for because that save um, was was astounding. And it was good that Trent got back um, to kind of clear the ball away. Because I always think, um, for all the stick Trent's had about his defending, I, I just love it when there's a Trent defending moment like that, that he can just, you know, that he can just sort of add to the list of things to shut the likes of Gary Neville up with. Because um, he can defend. It's just that if he's not meant to be defending at that time, it can be a bit much to ask of him, I think, um, as we've said before. But then, yeah, that penalty, to me at the first, I just thought, yeah, it, it's, an, it's a bang on pen. Van Dijk's brought him down. I at first thought, I hope it's Van Dijk that's done it and not the keeper. Because for a second, I thought he could have been almost the keeper and that could have been a red for Ali, but no. Um, but then, yeah, as soon as they said they were checking it, as soon as I saw that foul on Endo, I mean, there's no doubt about it. From the, An angle got shown to us where you could see his standing leg was taken from him. He wasn't, it wasn't just about the sort of being clattered into um, contact was made with his standing leg and he went down because of that. It, as soon as you see the angle, you might say, let me just see again, just to make sure, but that's it. You know, you don't need to see it from so many different angles. You don't need to ask to see it played at normal speed. You don't need to ask for it. Um, you know, can we have someone write a story about it in a, in a novel about it? And let me read that before I make a decision. You just like, you've seen it. He took his standing leg. And I think it's a case of, Oh, I've made a mistake. Is there any way I can get out of it? Um, you know, there shouldn't even be, I shouldn't even have to go to the screen almost. It should be the VAR saying there was a foul in the lead up. There's no messing. Just get it done. There was a foul. Um, it's really obvious, an obvious foul. Let's just forget about it. Um, okay, go to the screen. Shouldn't take a minute. And my biggest frustration in the sense of that is um, the next time he went to the screen, he looked at something from one angle that was from really high up and made the decision. Now, I'm not saying that the other decision wasn't right, but it was it was no more clear than the one that made him spend, you know, as long as he possibly could on seeing it. I can't imagine what the uh, audio was like from that, but it, it's got to have been the video re- um, operator just saying, for fuck's sake, lads, can you not see it? I can't show you any more angles. Um, just admit it. And and this is the frustration with refs. They don't like to admit that they're wrong. They don't like, they don't even believe that they can be wrong. And they don't believe each other can be wrong. And it's just such an alien concept for them, for them to be able to say, oh yeah, we got it wrong. Let's change it. You know, just admit it. Everyone screws up, you know, including refs. Just and that was, it, they're frightened. That was the most graphic dis- uh, example of, of 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 what you've described there um, <laughs> with Matt because it was, it was it was just endless. And Dave, I know you're going to want to come in on that and, and start us there in a sec. But let me just go through the remainder of the second half because there's a couple of things here that I want to uh, um, um, point out between now and when the the, the half finally ends after five minutes of of um, at a time. Um, <clears throat> there is a yellow card on 37 minutes for. Ward on Luis Diaz. Now, I think what we might do here is bookmark that because that's coming back. Um, there's no attempt on goal for the Reds 41 minutes in, and that's a stat that pops up on, on the pitch and you, on the on the screen. You're thinking, good God, um, 
this is poor from us. Um, there's a lovely little Virgil moment of, of cool on 44 minutes where he does his little back flick under pressure to sideways pass the ball to his defensive partner. He can then walk away with it. And there was a half decent move by us driven by Luis Diaz, which resulted in a poor um, Darwin pass as we were looking to walk it in. Uh, shots blocked from Mo Salah and Dom Sabazlai led to a corner. Nothing from that. There were those five minutes added. And the only other thing I'd like you to touch on, apart from the penalty, is Gravenberg. Now, I know, you know, for various reasons, um, um, w- neither of us were exactly the most enthused when we were being linked with this kid. Then you sign a player and you want him to be the best he can possibly be. Mm. But Gravenberg, to me, today looked like the opposite of composed, which is one of the things we've we did notice about him when he was at, at his best in the in the few cameo appearances that he's been really good. Was he did have that composure in the ball, but he was harried looking in everything he did today, um, in the way that uh, Darwin was a couple of games ago, kind of. Just that little bit, a beat off the pace of the game. And his play really left a lot to be desired, I thought. But again, he survived the first um, 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 round of substitutes. So if you could work in your your, your Gravenberg and the midfield, um, uh, the, the, whether it functioned or not, into your, into your assessment of the first half and particularly the second half of it. If you want to start with the penalty, obviously. Yeah, I mean... The penalty was so obviously not going to be given because it was a blatant foul on on Endo by Will Hughes, and I don't know why it took so long. Like I've said this this before, my opinion is that when they're told to go to the screen, they're being told we're overturning this. That's a penalty. It's not a penalty. It's a goal. It's not a goal. Whatever, and that all the rest of it is just to make them look good. So madly. Has Madley and his brother, to be fair, are known for being quite arrogant. And he goes over, and it's clear he doesn't want to change his mind because in all the clips that they show him, he is very, very clearly looking directly at it. Straight him. at it, yeah. yeah. Do you know, he's, he's in good proximity to the incident. So it's not just you've missed this, it's you've made, you have made a mistake here. And he doesn't want to accept that he's made a mistake. And they're basically having to convince him, like, this is being overturned. You've made a mistake here. And he's asking to see it from this angle and from that angle at full speed, at half speed. It was blatantly, obviously, a foul. He barrels into the back of Endo, wraps his right leg around, knocks Endo's right leg, and barrels into him a bit more, at no time making contact with the ball. I don't know why it took so long, but eventually they got to the right decision. So good process, lads. Um, the first half was an abomination for Liverpool. Look, we were genuinely terrible. We, we just looked like we had no, no burst, no motivation. Obviously, it's the early kickoff, and obviously we do always struggle in these games for whatever reason. But we were shocking. Defensively, we were a little bit all over the place at times. I thought Virgil was good. Kwanzaa I thought was good. But with Trent inverting into midfield, you're always going to have a space where you're where you're going to be wide open. And unfortunately, Endo, for all the hustle and bustle, he's not quick across the ground. So he struggles to get back. Dominic sprints back, but he can only get back into one area by himself. 
the other fella jogs back. Like, Gravenberg jogs back every single time. He seems to be able to sprint going towards the opposition goal, but not towards our goal, which is an odd thing. And it just leaves us wide open. You're defending with a man less. And thankfully, we have the best goalkeeper in the world who saved us in that first half with an incredible save from Jefferson Lerma, like a genuinely incredible save that he had absolutely no business to make. And with the greatest respect to Cuevin Kelleher, he's not keeping that out. Um, The midfield didn't function. And that midfield doesn't function with Dominic and Gravenberg. It just doesn't function. I don't know how many more times Jürgen's going to need to see it. It does not work. Every time he tries it, it struggles. Whether it's Alexis as the six or Endo or whoever you want to put in there, it's not going to work at this moment in time because Ryan Gravenberg is not good enough at this moment in time. He's just not good enough to be starting league games for us. You look at his performances for us. He's had a couple of really good games in the Europa League. He was very good against Leicester. He had a good cameo against City. And he had one other good cameo in the league off the bench. But when he starts in the league, he has not been good. And he was dreadful against Fulham. He's been dreadful again tonight. He was awful when he came on against Sheffield United as well. He looks... I don't know whether it's a confidence thing or what it is, but he just doesn't look like he's all the way switched on at the moment. And in that first half, like that, that is a shambolic display. He completed less than 70% of his passes. It's not like he was attempting high-difficulty passes. And even the ones he did complete, he routinely picked the wrong option. Like, we had a lovely break where Diaz gets the ball left wing, cuts inside, finds Gravenberg. He picks the ball up in a ton of space. You've got three options. You've got Darwin making a run. That's a run where Darwin doesn't expect the ball. Darwin is making that run to open a big patch of space, either for you to drive into or for you to give it to Mo on the right-hand side, 1v1 with Nathaniel Klein, with a big patch of space around Klein. And he gives it to Darwin. It doesn't even look to see the other options. Just gives it to Darwin because that's the pass he can see. Ryan Gravenberg, when he's at his best, his head is on a constant swivel. And he has an awareness of what's around him. And right now, he's not making good decisions on the ball. Like, you cannot give the ball away 14 times when you have 37 touches of the ball. And that's what he did in that first half. That's atrocious. And it's not like you're offering anything defensively to make up for it. I don't understand why Curtis Jones didn't start today. Curtis Jones is a better footballer than Ryan Gravenberg at this time. Gravenberg has more talent and a higher ceiling, but a much, much lower floor. Curtis was bad against City. Everybody agrees Curtis was bad against City. But defensively, he was still important to us. It was on the ball he struggled. Gravenberg, if he doesn't offer anything on the ball, is a complete liability because he's dreadful defensively. And on the ball right now, despite the fact that Curtis at times can take too many touches and doesn't do spectacular things, he's a better player on the ball because you can rely on, rely on him to take the ball and give it to a teammate and keep possession and make the right decision. And like it's not just it's not just Gravenberg. Endo didn't have a great first half and he was obviously hooked at half time. Dominic didn't have a great first half and he was hooked on fifty five or whenever that was. Six was it sixty he got hooked on? 
Like, but part of why those two are struggling is because they're trying to do the work of three men because he's not pulling his weight defensively. He made zero tackles in his half, zero interceptions, zero blocks, no defensive actions. He gave away two free kicks. He won two of six ground duels, both of which were when he was in possession of the ball, none of which were when he was out of possession. Like, that is not acceptable. He's been much worse in the last two games than Curtis was against City, against much worse teams. I don't know what Jürgen was thinking with that. And, like, I think Jürgen got the team wrong today because we said it after the the Sheffield United game that Darwin should have started instead of Cody because of how Sheffield United play. And you guys have both referenced Darwin and how often he was offside in that first half. I said it after that game on Wednesday night. This was a game to start Cody through the middle. And if you're going to play Darwin, play him from the left because Diaz didn't warrant a place in the team either. But Cody, when he came on, was dragging their centre-backs here, there and everywhere because they will follow him into spaces that they don't want to be in, which creates space in behind for us to play into. And how many chances or good opportunities did we get from when Cody came on and then went central? Not when he was in midfield, but when he went central for the last, whatever, 20 minutes or something, their centre-back started having to follow him. And it created loads of opportunities for us to get in. Now, we didn't make the most of them, obviously, but it made more sense. And, and, you know, it's not just, again, it's not just Gravenberg, it's not just the midfield. Diaz had a rotter of a game, improved a bit when the changes are made. Mo was dreadful for the third game in a row. And it'll be excused because he scored, but he was awful. Darwin was terrible today. Like, it's not just Gravenberg at all. I might seem like I'm hammering him, but he was he was the worst of a bad bunch. But all the others were bad. And maybe they deserve a bit more credit, uh, criticism because they should be performing at a higher level. Like, Mo should be performing better. Darwin should be performing better. Diaz should be performing better. They've all had a lot longer in this system, a lot longer to adapt to Jurgen's ways, to the Premier League, to this, that, and the other. He's Maybe still... heads that they should be looking up to, the other players yeah, in the country, for an example. You know, but, like, the, the issue with him is every time he gets the ball, he does want to take too many touches. And it's something that we that Curtis gets hammered for. But he does it as well. At least when Curtis does it, he generally picks the right pass. But Jürgen just needs to have a strong look at this and think, this midfield, the balance of it isn't right. If I want to get the best out of Ryan Gravenberg, the other eight needs to be not Sabozlai and not Harvey. It needs to be Curtis or Alexis. Somebody who's got a higher level of, of game management right now, who doesn't take much out of the ball and who will allow him a bit more freedom to be more attack-minded. When we've got Dominic in there, that other midfielder needs to be more defensive-minded in the same way that like Fabinho and Ginny were more defensive-minded so Henderson could play more with the front three and get into those advanced positions. Tiago and Fabinho would play deeper so again Henderson could get further forward. Curtis two games, it's not two games Alexis. in a row though. Two week, two weekends in a row now. He's taken midfielders off and and had uh, Trent and Gravenberch together, hasn't he? As a sort of midfield too. And I wonder, is this a sign of something he's thinking of having Trent as a defender? Yeah, yeah. And it didn't work today until he made more changes. So, hello, I'm here to annoy you. 
I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, low-key, I think, one of the big um, downsides in terms of our form and um, our performance over the last couple of games has been the tail-off in Dom Sabozlai's actual contributions where he has been he had all of us just you know yeah. drool, drooling for match after match and <clears throat> him and Mo look exhausted yeah there's a lot of things coming together there which are leaving anyone then who's not pulling their weight is going to be massively exposed in terms of the performance and, and, and our observations on it it's absolutely fair I, I, we're just looking at the, the the way things are breaking down and why and Jim the second half begins with a couple of substitutions as Dave alluded to their endo is hooked and Joe Gomez comes on I thought he had a fantastic outing man the match whatever um, but he gets it Mateta came on for Edward um, bookmarked that as well 48 minutes in Darwin flashed uh, ahead at uh, a Luis Diaz cross shot he kind of cut in from the left and had a uh, it was a very viciously hit cross it was a cross I think he's probably hit, heading for the top corner Darwin gets a little bit of a forehead to it but it's, it's not enough contact and it goes wide there is a dangerous Lerma cross on 52 minutes, which is very well defended by Trent on the near post, uh, which goes out for a corner uh, from which we get nothing. And at that point, then, VAR are checking, apparently, for a possible penalty. And it's um, Brooks, um, uh, who we, we, we know very well, John Brooks, who's the VAR guy. And we're being told about this by Fletch in the commentary. He's, he's so excited um, by it all. He keeps talking about it minute after minute. I think a Approximately one and three quarter minutes of play went on, Jim, um, before Madley blows the whistle uh, and is told to go to the monitor and eventually he gives the penalty. Now, I'll be honest, I don't see that there's any way we can argue about the Kwanzaa penalty. Um, He doesn't make contact with the ball. It is a penalty. The only thing you're looking for is a little bit of consistency and this is going to come up again and this is where Maddie finds himself in the middle of this and as do the PGMOL and VAR because unless people have very short memories, something happened where the Reds scored a perfectly good goal recently but we couldn't possibly go back 10 seconds. Um, you know, this kind of thing just bugs me, the inconsistency around it. And of course, Mateta strokes the penalty home uh, right down the middle. Um and it just feels all very, very messy. We bring on Cody and Ibu for Gravenberg and Kwanzaa at that point. Uh, and uh, they're, it's, it's an odd pair of substitutions, but they, to be fair, they're quite effective, both of them. It works well for Jürgen. But like I say, a minute and 45 seconds of play had elapsed before that um, whistle is blown. 
I'm not sure how, how I feel about this. Um, I can't argue with the penalty when you go back and give it. But why is it taking Brooks so long to give that clear penalty? Why is it taking Madley so long to realise his hideous mistake in the first place when he was awarding a penalty? Um, this, These kind of things are just, it's making the whole thing very, very difficult to watch and very, very frustrating. It's probably worth our while pausing there, even though we're only a few, we're 10, 10 12 minutes into the second half but let's just get your take on that the opening to the second half and of course that um, strange scenario where we go goal down Jimmy you unmute there I was I'm sorry about that you see everyone makes mistakes that's what I was saying before <laughs> I just made one um, yeah we, we start the second half with the, with the change and then Darwin nearly scores but not near enough but still you know you think oh maybe something's going to come of this but then I mean I, I wrote down that Gomez was lost upfield and Trent had to get back and he did and defended and Pally's got the corner but of course it's the corner that basically led to the penalty and you know, as I said before, when you talk about consistency, if you need a hundred angles and you know, in half a week to sort of look at one incident that was so clearly a foul, um, you know, I'm not saying that this wasn't a penalty. From what the angle we did see, it looked like it was a penalty, but I just don't understand why he wasn't shown a couple of more angles just to say, yes, definitely a penalty. Nothing, no arguments about that. Just, just, I mean, even just to give the appearance of consistency, it doesn't hurt, does it? But I suppose that takes common sense, and common sense isn't something that referees really like. I mean, they don't like the concept of common sense because everything has to be black and white and um, following rules to the letter in the way a traffic warden does on a bad, on a, at the worst um why why so you don't want to stop the play so let's just imagine the, the penalty shot liverpool break salah goes at the other end and scores a goal right you don't want to stop that ob- obvious promising attacking moment so in, in a way you kind of play an advantage to the possibility of a penalty rather than stopping the game you're sort of playing an advantage because it looks like if it's not going to be a penalty there's an attacking move going on let's see what happens before we uh, pull it back so that's fair enough there was nothing happening Liverpool were just passing the ball and passing the ball and passing the ball um, almost to the point where I thought are they just passing the ball hoping that VAR will forget in the end and not go back because they tend not to I just don't understand why the referee couldn't have blown at that point by being told by VAR oh very very strong possibility of a penny and we're going to you know stop the game now while we have a look at it and then we'll have a bounce ball afterwards which yeah I mean, we see bounce balls all the time now in the game for some, you know, it's frustrating watching these uncontested bounce balls at times, but, you know, it's part of the game. No one's going to be upset if you do that. But instead, what was it? Like you said, one and a half minutes. I think if you if you add up how long it was from from the penalty incident to the actual um, scoring of the penalty, you know, and the game kicking off again, it was a good four, maybe five minutes that, that went by because obviously with the subs and things as well. Um, it's it's just senseless. There's that inconsistency that um, you can stop it. Then clearly, a bit of common sense, stop it anyway because nothing's happening. As I said, we, we weren't in the middle of a super attack, so just stop the game. Let's have a look what's happened. Bounce ball afterwards. Um, much like could have happened when we had that game against Spurs. Although the argument is that the play had already restarted, so you can't unrestart it. Which again. I don't know. It just sounds a little bit crap to me. It, it just doesn't also that make they, a lot of they sense. Apparently, cleared the decision against us, or in the, in the game against Spurs, they cleared that one. Yeah. And this one wasn't be clear. But Jim's right. Like, stop the game. Just blow your whistle. Stop the game. Everybody can stand around for a minute, and they can check it properly. They've made themselves look like clowns with the way they've gone about this today. There's no doubt it's a penalty. 
Like, it's a very clear foul by Gerald Kwanzaa. It's unfortunate. It's the only foot I thought he put wrong today. Yeah. But it's a penalty. It shouldn't have taken that long. Like, one look at it, you're like, oh, actually, yeah, no, that's a penalty. Then you can check the offsides and whatever else. That shouldn't take as long as it did. I mean, why did it take VAR that long and Andy Madley, like, two looks at a replay? That's, again, that doesn't make sense. Madley took, yeah, literally watched two clips of it and went, oh, yeah, penalty. Like, it was a very blatant decision. And, like, it looks really bad. Now, the only thing I will say is I would rather they did take a bit longer and get decisions right and make sure that everything Mm -hmm. is communicated properly than have the situation like we had at at Spurs. But blow the whistle, like Jim was saying. Blow the the whistle and stop the game. Like, it's a very simple thing. Blow the whistle and stop the game. Yes, Make it, it clear you're adding the time on as well. Then that's the biggest 100%. frustration is you think you're losing time here when you're behind or wherever, but you're not. If they add it on, you're not losing time. But look, look how. But the thing is, we actually technically did lose time because mm. those couple of minutes that got played between the foul and when the referee finally blew to go and have a look at the monitor, those ga- those minutes disappeared from the game. So we actually did lose time because if we score in that span. It wouldn't have counted. Nothing would have counted. So we actually do lose time because he didn't blow his whistle. Jesus like, Christ! That's yeah. the frustration to me. I've like, got, I've got images of of um of Matthew McConaughey with a straggly beard, crushing beer cans and saying times a flat circle. It, that's actually fucking mental when you think of it, isn't it? Yeah. Because that 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 period of time just ceases to just exist. disappears. The, old, the only the only time they add for that specific incident is from when he blows the whistle until when the game restarts after the goal and the substitutions. Yeah. So they add that two minutes maybe, but not the three or four minutes that have preceded that. And but that, even, even if they do add it, it's like as you say, if there were if we're working our way towards an inevitable blowing of the whistle and and mm. Andy, Andy saying uh, none of that matters. That's my point. That's all. Yeah. It's just, regardless, it's lost. Whatever happens in that period is lost. Also, you know what? The, the amount of time that gets added on is an unknown. So if you're a manager trying to manage your, your players, trying to work out what to do with the rest of the game, um, there's a big difference between 20 minutes left and 30 minutes left because they're adding 10 minutes on at the end. But you don't know that. You've got no yeah, idea. You know, exactly. that, that's something I, I actually think the timekeeping should be taken off the ref and almost, um, you know, have a sort of a timekeeper who puts a, a clock up on the, on the stadium scoreboard that stops and things like that so we can see how long's left that might Look, be a bit rug- too American. Rugby a bit have too nailed a lot of things that we don't yeah. have right in football and one of the things they've nailed is that the, the clock stops and the ball's out of play yeah and like if I know people would say oh well, a football match would take too long just reduce yeah. reduce it reduce it to two 40 minute halves or two 35-minute halves. Let's Make try it, it in the Carabao game. Cup or something. Let's just give it a yeah. try in, 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 in one of the other competitions. And, just and see. Only when the ball is in play. Because right now, the ball is generally only in play in Premier League games from like between 57 and 61 minutes or something like that. That's about the average. Yeah. So if, if it was to be a 70-minute game, that'd actually be longer of ball in play action. And it would also stop teams like Newcastle United and any team managed by Roy Hodgson who want the ball in play as little as possible. They want to waste 35 minutes of every game with stoppages because that suits them. Make it a 70-minute game where the ball has to be in play and ongoing for the entire 70 minutes. And any time it stops, whether it's for a free kick, a goal kick, a throw-in, whatever, the clock picking stops. Up, picking up your towel. 
yeah. Do you know, it's just, it's, there's a lot of things that they need to improve, but like that today, that the outcome is correct. They get the outcome right. And, and yep. frankly, considering how many times we've been screwed over and we've complained about it, I'm happy for them to get the outcome correct, even if it goes against us. But the processes are where the issue is. I've said it before. It's almost like they're trying to sabotage the whole thing to make it look so poor. And like from there, Trev's mate, Fletch, and we should do prick watch now, Trev. Let's do it. He Let's goes, do it. Although no, we're not quite there oh, We're yet. not quite there. We're not, we're not quite, quite there. No, we've one more big incident. The yeah. only thing I will say before you go on, um, he brings on Ibu for Kwanzaa. And obviously that, that was planned before the penalty was awarded. Ibu was mm-hmm. up and ready to go. Just in that moment, though, it looks really harsh because the last act for Kwanzaa is giving away a penalty. And from the outside looking in, if you only saw the highlights or whatever you go, oh, wow, he he hooked Kwanzaa straight away for giving away the penalty. But in truth, the reason he hooked him was because Ibu's quicker and he wanted us to commit more men going forward. So he needed the extra pace at the back. I'm really sorry if anyone can hear that. That is the rain hammering off the window behind me it is incredibly wet is that outside. what that was wow yeah. wow that's yeah. impressive that's impressive that's what happens when you live on, on the side of a mountain in cavern <laughs> uh, speaking of time as well i've noticed we've just breezed through the hour mark we're on on track for a patented uh, boardman hendrick and downey long <laughs> i'm afraid but jim just you and i are going to take it up as far as mo's equalizer um there is a, 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 a so we're we're a goal down. A, a, there is a chance where Darwin nearly gets on the end of a Trent free kick. I think it's one whipped in from the left towards the far post, and uh, Darwin throws himself at it and doesn't quite get there. But it's Schlupp who has a shot directly on target at Ali on sixty-one minutes. Uh, 64 minutes have passed at this point and I've noticed that we have not had a shot on target uh, and in fact if anything the, uh, the, their reaction to going goal up was to be on the on the up they, they really had their tails up they were um, in our half in a way that they hadn't been in the first half um, they did pick up a yellow for Lerma on 64 minutes uh, Lerma then went down and killed another few minutes um, before being substituted um, uh, by Elise on 67. A yellow card picked up on 70 by Richards. And there's a decent ball in by Trent um, for a free in on the right-hand side this time. But again, Darwin couldn't get there. <laughs> it's not look his highlight reel is going to be poor, let's put it that way. Uh, Ibu, I thought, did very well versus Elise on 72 minutes. And then we bring in the real, probably the the, the game-changing substitute of Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones, to be fair, for Darwin and for Dom Sabozlai. Um And at this point, we have the big decision, which is the red card, uh, which comes on the back of a second yellow for Ayu. Um, and this is where we're going to get into prick watch. And this will be my segue back to you, Dave, in a couple of minutes. But we'll just, like I said, we'll take it up as far as the goal here. Um, it is Mo Salah. I thought Cody Gakpo did very well. Um, a good ball by Joe Gomez to play him in. Cody stands up across. The cross breaks to Curtis, who does fantastically to tee up Mo Salah as he's being fouled for what should have been a penalty if the goal hadn't been hadn't gone in. 
Uh, he does really well. It's a, it's an assist for him. Mo hits it, the shot's deflected and goes in. I heard, by the way, for the record, somebody asked about how come that's given as a goal and and the um, uh, the Trent one wasn't. Well, I, I think the shot is going towards goal. That would be my that would be my thing. Whereas the the ball is going away from the goal uh, off the bar and goes back in off the keeper's back. Probably is the the answer there. But again, I'll I'll I'll, I'll stand to be correct on this one. And this is where, like I said, we need to work in um, our mate Fletcher, Darren Fletcher uh, and the return of Prickwatch because he actually then just went from being, I suppose, not not unusually uh, high on the opposition to Liverpool because, you know, underdog stuff or whatever, to being absolutely outrageously over the top in his constant whining about this red card Um now it does does it change the game you're fucking right it changes the game in our favour is it a red card it's two yellows I think that's what that means so Mm -hmm. I I, I find the endless crying about it to be hard enough to take do I would I can you put yourself in that position would you be annoyed about that well I mean I guess of course but that's hardly the point it's not as if it's not as if there's no argument to be made here or it's a, a nonsense of a decision it is two yellow cards and one thing plus the other thing equals the other thing. It's a very straightforward kind of bit of uh, work to be done. But my God, he never showed up about it. So it, this this was basically, this drove the narrative Then We had to go back to Rio Ferdinand to hear what he thought about it. And oh. that was just endless wittering about this until the end. And in fact, I'd say they've done such a good job, um, our media pals in, 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 in manufacturing consent, to use a Chomskyism, that, you know, that will probably be the big story. Oh, well, hard done to um, Palace uh, suffer a terrible Andy Madley decision uh, and go down to to um, subpar Liverpool or whatever way they want to spin it. Anyway, you've got a goal to talk about. Uh, you've got um, the uh, red card to talk about and a few other bits. And like I say, that's where we'll segue back in, Dave, you and I, to finish the game details out. I'll go back to Jim for his finals and then Dave will be finishing the show this week as it works out. So, Jim, that chunk, quite a few big things for you to to, to, to get your teeth into. Yeah, I mean, before all that happened, I'd written down why three times to take a free kick because there was this point where the referee was doing his being a tit of a referee thing where we, the first time the ball was moving, the second time he maybe wasn't from the right play. Three times Liverpool needed to take a, a free kick from in, just inside their own half. Um, you know, the traffic warden mentality. And then... Um, their players were falling around and I've written down why no booking for diving because this this happens a lot you seems like Palace will look to win soft free kicks and rest fall for it I think I mentioned it after the game the other night you know and I'm frustrated when Liverpool play into the hands of the opposition and sort of let the free kick the soft free kicks happen but I wish refs would stand up to it more and when there's some obvious diving going on just get the cards out for that but still my god if you'd have booked anyone for diving Diving earlier on in the game today, who knows what Fletch would have done? Um, but you know, it was <laughs> Palace were time wasting. We were getting frustrated, and we were being frustrating. I think I, I sort of wrote those two words down because they went hand in hand. But then, what a difference it makes! I mean, I don't know what it is. Jones and Elliot. I mean, Elliot's not a local lad, but he's kind of like a pseudo local lad almost. You think? You know, young lad. He's been around a while um, with the young lads, and he just feels like. There's a different flavour, if you like, of, of the Liverpool side that comes on with those two. And, and, it, and it did make a change very soon after they came on. But um, I, I was genuinely shocked at how much Fletch made a big deal of that second yellow. Um, 
I mean, there were other fouls in the game before that that got yellows for similar kind of things. There were fouls afterwards. Um, it, it's one of the biggest frustrations I have sometimes in football that, um, I mean, I'm frustrated with my own play when they do it. Um, someone said on Twitter to me, you'd have had a meltdown if Diaz was sent off with the same. And I just said, well, yeah, but I'd have had a meltdown with Diaz for getting himself sent off in that situation unless, unless I thought, well, you know what? I'm glad he did because that stopped us going behind or that stopped us conceding. But on the whole, yeah, I'd be frustrated with the player who's on a yellow, having a needless shit second yellow. I mean, how many times did we think Milner was going to do it and Milner got away with it? But, you know, if Milner had had a second yellow all of those times that he'd already done a mad tackle and then decided to do another one, we, we wouldn't be angry with the ref, would we? We'd have been angry with Milner. That's That's what the difference is. And, you know, you know you're on a yellow. It's up to the managers to take you off because you're under threat or it's up to you to just have the sense that you can't be the one that takes one for the team but that's what he did he took one for the team um as it was it wasn't perhaps the most threatening of attacks that was going on but that is exactly what fletch would have been saying if he hadn't already been booked and if he'd have been brought down with someone through on goal it would have been immediately oh yeah take him on for the team there that yellow yeah he's taking one for the team or oh yeah we've all done that and and all this sort of jokey like laddish stuff that you get from people like him um I don't know whether um, he's had to take some duties over from Martin Tyler now with the sort of in the commentary world because you know he's just <laughs> well, Jim. Let's, let's let's double down on 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 why <sighs> we're calling him out here because in the middle of all that, minutes later, right? So people are talking about game changing red car, right? Minutes later, just a couple of minutes after that 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 decision is made, uh, we, we like obviously we've we've gone we've um, uh, gotten into into the game a little bit. Um, um, in, in terms of Mo's equaliser, but while Mo is scoring that equaliser, Joel Ward takes out Curtis Jones blatantly, and it should be a penalty and a yellow card. Yes, and that is his second fucking yeah. yellow card. And regardless of what anyone wants to talk about, about game changing situations, they'd have gone and got a man down then anyway. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes, and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. You know why, I mean? why don't we see refs go back and give the yellows anymore? I I can't remember the last time I've saw that happen. It just doesn't yeah. seem to happen. Yeah. You know, the play advantage when there's been some blatant flat foul, you know, you can tell by the way the waving advantage that they knew it was a bad one. 
and yet there's no going back for the yellow. That You're right, that should have been a second yellow. Probably he's thinking, <clears throat> you know, it's just not worth it because, well, I don't even know why you're being consistent. You do something about it, don't you? Because <clears throat> if it wasn't for Salah finishing it off, we'd have got the pen and it would have been hard for him to not have a yellow. The other thing as well about the yellow is if, if you'd make that foul and it is the last man, you go off. You get a red. If, you, if you're if you on sort of, you know, on the halfway line, players running through and you bring him down and he's the last man, that's a red card. So why the outrage over a yellow? Um, the only time I've actually sort of remotely enjoyed listening to Fletcher on commentary is every so often when there's nothing on TV and you're stuck in the depths of the sort of multi-channel TV world, they get these old reruns of Red Bull soapbox derbies, which Fletch commentates on. And he's all right on that because it's a bit of a piss take, you know, and it, it, it works well for him. But on this, um, I mean, another thing I said today, and I think I tweeted it, was if the Premier League didn't sell itself, TNT would probably be struggling now because to me, Fletch, um, he's the way, he's not selling that sport to anyone. He's just not selling it. He's he's making it sound awful. Um, game after game after game. I I hate the early kiss kickoffs on a Saturday because of many of the reasons Klopp does. But you know you kind of learn to live with it. But then you realise. It's BT, it's Fletch. I mean, stuck with this guy, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's it's one of the con, uh, con, condolences, if you like, or one of the sort of let offs, if you like, of being in the Europa League, because he doesn't tend to do them. We don't have to tend to listen to him on a Thursday night, which, you know what, I, I don't say I want us to be in the Europa League next year, but that's my consolation <laughs> if we end up there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm Dave to bring you in on this because, like I say, I mean, it's it it it, it was it was the. Uh, trademark um, little symbol narrative after that it was and it's going to be I guarantee it's going to be the takeaway story about how uh, they're hard done by and nobody will talk about the ward situation which happened within a minute of your man being sent off when Mo was scoring and you know if, if you want to revisit it like Jim was talking about that like going back and giving it it's actually dangerous playing he could have really done damage to Curtis luckily Curtis was sort of um, light enough on his foot that that he his foot was able to, to move with mm. the the tackle of of Ward as he's coming through him, um, but you could easily revisit that for dangerous play and give the yellow anyway. So I just it, it's it's just a, an absolutely stupid narrative put in place by um, a, a commentator t- a commentary team who who you know you almost forgive forgive for being dopes and a, an ex an ex defender who is patently a dope, but it will just be you know it's going to be regurgitated. Of course it is. Of course it is. Um, the Joel Ward one could actually have been a straight red. Yeah, it, agreed. It, that, it's mm-hmm. that wild and late. It could have been a straight red, and it didn't even get looked at. But it should yeah. have been a yellow. Like it should have been a yellow. But like, let's let's just be honest about this. If this happened against us, where one of our players got sent off in that fashion, we'd be annoyed at the player. Because we were, when it was Diogo Jota against Spurs, who got sent off for Mm. two yellow cards, both of which were yellow cards, but combined didn't really seem to deserve a red card. But the rule of the game is they're both yellow cards. The first one, he blocks the free kick from being taken. That's a yellow card all the time. I don't understand how there's a complaint there. The one second thing the ref one, gets right and, and it's mad. Yeah. The second one is the most blatant yellow card you'll ever see. We're breaking. He's never getting the ball. He just fouls Harvey. 
he tries to do the tactical foul to take one for the team. Maybe he'd forgotten he'd already been booked, but he knew he was getting a yellow card on that because when the first yellow, when the yellow came out, he didn't seem to react. When the red came, then he looked awestruck at what had happened. He was like, why am I being sent off here? It's my first yellow. Did there was not a player off in the game. Didn't we take a player off in the game recently? He was on a yellow and got away with a um, yeah. got away with a foul. I can't think of who it was. I might think yeah. I can't remember now. A few games so, like, ago, and we clock brought him yeah. straight off because he didn't want it to happen again. It was Ebu. It was Ebu. It was a few games ago. He brought Ebu off and brought I think Joel on. Like that against Everton. Exactly right against Everton. Like that. They're both yellow cards. Is it a? It's a harsh red in the context of what he did, but they're both blatant yellow cards and there's no other way to look at it. That is just the letter of the law. And Fletch, I mean, the only credit I'll give TNT is at least they've broken up the Fletch and Sav horror show. (laughs) And we don't get too much Fletch and Steve McManaman anymore. And to be fair, I don't know what, which Lucy it is that's doing the co-coms. I don't think it's Lucy Bronze, is it? I'm not sure. I don't. Not sure, I, I feel. I feel like a. I feel like a, a Joey Barton-esque idiot for not well, knowing who it is. But I know. This is the I thing. Know. In the in the aftermath or or the ongoing shenanigans of Joey Barton once again proving to the world that he is by himself a parcel. He is. He is the the only solo parcel in the world. Like Joey Barton, Joey Barton's brother, everybody knows what Joey Barton's brother did. And and yet Joey Barton might actually be a bigger prick than him. That's how bad Joey Barton is as a human being for the last 20 years. And he's on Twitter calling himself the king and talking about a fantastic career while disparaging women working in the game. I just hope that Joey Barton's daughter never grows up and wants to work in men's football because... You know, she's clearly not going to have the support of her dad. Um, But Joey Barton called himself the king of Twitter when the last time he was as active on Twitter, he was quoting philosophers that he just had no idea who they were. And he's calling his career fantastic when he's one of the biggest wastes of talent that English football has seen in the last 20 years. He had the ability to win 50 plus caps, to play 15 years in the Premier League for top clubs. And instead, as soon as Man City got good, they binned him off. And when Newcastle realised what he was about, they binned him off. And the only notable things he did in his career were in the championship. So, fuck Joey Barton. But in the midst of him and his nonsense, I actually thought, up until that red card, I was quite impressed. I think Jim is right. It is Lucy Ward. I was actually quite impressed by her commentary. I thought she was adding to 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 the game. Very difficult to do with Fletch taking away so much from the game. It's also Fletch difficult thought, to disagree with the main commentator in that situation. Yeah. I think he imposes himself too much. And in, he does. You know, he maybe there's more. a touch of misogyny there as well, in, in, in all honesty, because well, he forces in his views onto the... Well, see, the, the thing as well is, remember, Fletch is on every game they have. Fletch is the main guy there. The rest is a rotating cast. So he's definitely one with the controlling share and what the, the, the common opinion is going to be. But like well, the, the two women who were the team that he decided to pick on um, for the game where Endo scores that cracker, um, he completely fucks it up. He says, oh, she said something about um, he put his laces through it. 
Uh, and anyone who's ever played football could tell you that he didn't put his laces through it. So you go and you listen to it again, and she doesn't say that again. She says yeah. now people would be tempted to put their laces through it, but he does the fucking opposite and curls it directly in top corner. Yeah. He is an absolute mouth-breathing gobshite of a human. I, I'm, I'm planning to dedicate most of Monday's two footed just to him. He's actually got. He's gone and he's gone and and and, and um, he's 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 taken prick watch of of Fletch, hasn't he? Yeah, he is. And and here's 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 the thing about him, right? Really what he's doing thing. at the moment on Twitter is <laughs> is a very poor man's impression of Conor McGregor. Yeah. Um, and the reason he's doing it, right, the whole reason behind this is not because he believes any of this. Joey Barton doesn't believe a word of what he said. It's to get his podcast, which he's now forced to rely on for an income because no other club is going to hire him after what he did off the pitch at Fleetwood and what a mediocre job he did at Bristol Rovers. He's not going to get another job, certainly not anytime soon. So he's not only ruined his own playing career with his behaviour, he's ruined his managerial career with his behaviour. And he's now setting himself up to be the podcast for the type of the footballing podcast or sports podcast for the type of people who watch GB News or who think Pierce Morgan is an authority on things or who donate money to someone like Tommy Robinson. That is the group that Joey Barton is playing to. And you know how I know he doesn't believe a word of it? It's when he says, we miss having people like Matt Letizia on television. Matt Letizia was an, was, is not only a terrible gang of lads, he's an awful pundit. And most of these people that Barton is going to bat for are awful pundits. They also happen to be white males, which, you know, given what his brother did, might point to something else that's going on with Barton. Can't um, remember the name of the actor that used to be on Moss or something like that. That's gone absolutely. He was with GB News, wasn't he? He was um, sacked. What's he, is it, Lawrence or something? Lawrence Frank Fox. Lawrence yeah, Fox. That, another, that, another terrible prick. I, I I actually met Joey Barton once, and only only briefly. He was in a, in an office where I was in an office at the time, and he was just sitting there, nice and quiet, speaking. Um, came across as perfectly okay you know didn't really think anything anything of like, him and i think this is it i mean he has these mad moments hence the trouble he's been in public yeah. but the rest of it is definitely um what can i say that'll get attention and it's worked hasn't it everyone's this, talking this about is a him. guy who without without ever asking for any praise or attention on it consistently helped out with the justice campaign yeah. Would turn up in the shop and help help out there for a day, would donate money, would donate his time, would do whatever it took to help out. Joey Barton, for many years, while he would ruin his career with his behaviour, was, was generally seen as a, a decent lad, but a troubled lad. Now he's just embraced the full prick side of things oh he, yeah. he, he, he woke up and chose violence i mean that's the same yeah. the last last iteration of barton was oh i like the smiths me and as and here's a nietzsche quote for you um, yeah. uh, you know because he's got it in his in his philosophy for beginners handbook and it was it was another attempt to to say look at me you you've both nailed it. he's a fucking attention whore that's what it is, yeah, he is. And, that's exactly and he's it. increasingly increasingly lacking I, any reason for for anyone to give him attention I, I remember one, Didi Haman, who, who's also an eager, used to rip bits out of him on Twitter, though. And I remember one, one back and forth where Barton was going on about something. And he said, Didi, we're both international footballers. And Didi went, Joey, just because you play in France doesn't mean you're an international footballer. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Bar- Barton, like, Barton is the type of idiot that, that makes... 
Lucy Ward doing her job quite well up until the red card. Really enjoyable as well, as well as the fact that, again, I thought she was adding to the game and I thought she was doing a good job. She had a couple of really good one-liners in there, one of which Flat, uh, Fletch ruined by by say, by trying to ask her what she meant rather than just letting it sit because it was funny. Um, from there, the commentary is an absolute shambles. Yeah, it just they falls cannot off. cannot get over the fact... And he he keeps going like I've been watching football for years. I've never yeah, seen. Oh yeah, as a fan of football for years, oh like no one else is you dickhead. Like, like, like what? Yeah. What are you talking about? We've seen far worse decisions than that. That was that was the correct application of the rules. And Fletch has lost the run of himself, and he has just climbed into Roy Hodgson's underpants at that point. And from there, that's where oh. he gives his commentary from. Well, that's is, that's that's without doubt the darkest image we ever have <laughs> floated out on this fucking podcast. <laughs> and I realise we're heading absolutely sailing towards the 90-minute mark. Let's get this under control and back on track because my God, it was uh, that's that's it's a well worthwhile diversion. But to get back on track, and like I say, um, if you want to just stay with me, Dave, you and I'll see the the details of the match out. Jim, I'll go to you for your final wrap-up thoughts, and then we'll finish, Dave, with yours. But we're going to try and do this as briefly as possible, lads, to keep this to 90 because it starts getting unwieldy then. Um, after Mo's goal and after all the nonsense uh, the constant nonsense from uh, the commentary team it's a weird game it's all sorts of sort of bitty but we were improved and enlivened and there was a decent cross in which had their keeper flapping a bit on 79 minutes on 80, uh, 83 minutes they bring on Ahamada for Schlupp and the keeper was down killing time I thought he was but actually turns out he had to go off so Matthews comes on for Johnston all I can think of is you know it's uncharitable but let's ruin this kid's debut uh, Joe Gomez has a decent run and cross that the keeper palms out with his first touch and does well to be fair I was worried about that then Harvey who's following up blast wide of the near right hand side post with his let's be honest standing leg uh, his right foot um, and it's it's a wild effort it's not miles off but it is off then Harvey stood up a little cross to boost the confidence of the keeper so I'm a little bit down on Harvey at this point 10 minutes are added I've looked down next thing I know he's wheeling away having done something outrageous Mo plays a simple pass to him but he just runs a goal in a kind of diagonal way from right towards the centre takes his time and curls an absolutely delightful shot in at the near post from distance just outside the box it's an absolutely wonder hit of a goal delightful they're still crying about Ayu and his dismissal and how that's utterly changed the game um, Luis Diaz had the ball in the net with a lovely chip over the keeper but they said he was offside <laughs> they didn't even look at that for any time at all and it was a tight one so weird on 94 minutes they bring on Ozo Anderson gets a yellow uh, Joe Gomez gets a yellow Luis Diaz gets a yellow um, and then we have that absolute clusterfuck of a couple of minutes at the end which began with a deep free kick for um, um, for, for them over on the right hand side Anderson is offside nobody mentions that but he gets there and Ali makes a fantastic save it goes out for a corner and that's the second time this has happened now, right? The second time this has happened. It goes out for a corner and then another corner. And we have that unnecessarily stressful thing to put up with at the end of the match where, you know, their tails are up. And there was, both of you alluded to, are a loud crowd. Ahamada picks up a yellow. 
and we get to hear Liverpool top of the league being chanted around the ground when we finally clear the danger. Um, Dave, just on the detail, just specifically on those details, touch on the goal. Anything else you want to mention in the uh, last few minutes of the match? The Harvey goal is a wonder strike and he has been so important to us this season coming off the bench. And I know there's a clamour for him to start, but he doesn't affect games the same way. Harvey really works when he comes on as a bowl of energy against a tiring team. And again, we saw today and like he was really impactful. I know what you're saying that the wild right footed shot, I think he was kind of maybe hoping it had hit something and we might get a corner or it might fly in or whatever, more so than I might hit this and it'll go in. I'm going to hit this and hope for the best. But like he was busy and he was finding good pockets of space. And obviously he draws the red card as well. So he's, he's impacted the game that way too. But the goal is just, it's, it's, it's absolutely silly. It's, it's a brilliant shot. Matthews had, had a couple of decent touches after coming on and was kind of, you know, you could see the confidence gaining in him. And thankfully enough, Harvey smashes it by him and, and he's got no chance. What gets me about that late little cluster of, of incidents that you mentioned, Anderson's offside. When Elise yep. strikes that free kick, Anderson is offside. That therefore rules out everything else that happens. But they don't but look they get, at that. Yeah. They look at a potential penalty on someone else who's fallen over. Oh, it's so fucking stupid. Like, it's just, it's incredible. Like, there's just, that's the type of thing that really bothers me with, with the PGMOL is how, how poor they are at their jobs when it comes to the processes and stuff. Um, but you, you, you could almost sense Fletch willing the ball into the net when they had those three set pieces in a row. But what if we want to sum up Roy Hodgson, and there's many ways we can sum up Roy Hodgson, one way to sum him up as a terrible fella is to point out that when he was in his 20s, he went to play football in South Africa, which was under a ban, a sporting ban, by the majority of the world because of their apartheid regime. And Roy thought, you know what, I'm going to go over there and I'm, that's that's the place I want to be. So, you know, you've got that to look at. But you want to sum up as a manager. They're 2-1 down at home. They're, they're unfortunate to be 2-1 down at home. Like, let's be honest, they were unfortunate to lose the game today, because, but only because we didn't play well, not because they were good. But they're 2-1 down at home. They've got a corner. It's deep in stoppage time. And Randy Matthews, the goalkeeper starts to make his way up because that's what people do now. They throw the goalkeeper forward because at this point the season, you might as well lose 3-1 as 2-1 if you've given yourself the opportunity to maybe just snatch a point. And Roy Hodgson, who's stood on the sideline like a corpse for most of the game while his assistant has leapt about the place and roared and bowled, Roy begins frantically waving him back to goal. Because he's got no ambition. Because in Roy's head, the goalkeeper should never, ever do that. And he won't adapt to these things. So he frantically waves the goalkeeper back. And you could actually hear, if you go back and watch that, that footage, you can hear their crowd kind of lull because they get a little bit excited as the keeper starts to move up because they've just had a set piece. Now they have another one. Maybe there's a chance. The goalkeeper's coming up. This could be exciting. And then there's this lull because Roy frantically waves him back to goal. 
That, more than anything, sums up Roy Hodgson as a manager. A man of no ambition, a dreadful gang of lads, and Crystal Palace, like every other club that's had him over the years, other than obviously Halmstead, where he turned water into wine, and Malmo, who would have won league titles with or without him, they will be well shot of him when they finally make the decision that, you know what, we were right 18 months ago when we told Roy it was time for him to move on, and he decided to retire. We were right then. We're wrong now. Let's get rid of him, and let's get... Uh, Graham Potter's sitting out there available. You could go and get him. You could go and get Oliver Glasner. You could go and get Julian Lopetegui. There's good managers sitting at home, twiddling their thumbs, and you've got this fella. Like, Crystal Palace, please do us all a favour. Sack that man. And let's have it that no other club ever hires him. They might not have to. They might not have to sack him because uh, in his post-match interview with TNT, uh, I've just seen a quote here. Uh, I quote: "When I do step away from the game, I won't be missing anything. It's sad to watch games like that. I don't feel positive. I'm just gutted." <laughs> so I think we. I think Roy, we broke him. I think we broke him. We we have, okay. but, but like Roy Hodgson has been managing in the Premier League. Basically, since 2007, he's been firmly in our lives. We've obviously known about him a long time, and he had that spell at Blackburn where he got sacked and then they got relegated. But according to him, he's never been relegated, even though he set that team on the path to relegation. But Roy has been permanently in our lives basically since 07. Fulham, then obviously the spell with us. West Brom, then he was England manager. Then Palace, then Watford briefly disastrous time there won two of 18 games and then palace again so he's permanently been a fixture in our lives for basically 16 years now we're coming up on the 16 year anniversary of him taking over as manager of fulham and i would i would estimate i've probably watched 200 games that he's managed and roy let me assure you i get no joy of watching any game that you're involved in unless your team get absolutely spanked because every single game you your team deserves to be spanked because you have no ambition you are a stain on the premier league now kindly take henry winter who's your biggest cheerleader and your broadsheet style of manager management and fuck all the way off and that's all i have to say on roy well it's a beautiful way to actually wrap up your thoughts entirely so just remind people of your shows for the week uh, two-footed every day, daily red every day. Uh, Tuesday's a bit questionable this week, so maybe not Tuesday, but Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for certain. Tuesdays remains to be seen. Uh, there'll be a couple of scouteds with Carl. There'll be there's something else. Oh, there's a there's a we've a European game during the week, don't we? we do. So there'll be there'll be raw for that, and then obviously. Um, Moving forward, there's going to be loads and loads. So, yeah, busy, busy, busy. Busy stuff, as usual, from Dave and Jim to wrap up with yourself. Um, overall thoughts and how would you sum it up? And I think that's still dancing around your head. Just a, a, a word to our colleague, Harry Setti, who is, of course, uh, very much the the younger gent of the of the raw posse and, and often makes uh, uh, references which go over our heads here as uh, the crumbly old oldies like myself. <laughs> He'll be delighted when he gets to see the... Uh, 
Harvey Elliott celebration where he's doing some Dragon Ball Z shite uh, at the crowd, uh, which I think may come from Ibu Kanata, who's a big manga boy. Uh, but anyway, just thought that's a little little reference for the kids there. Uh, Jim, your final thoughts, and do let us know again at the end of it if there's anything coming up from you during the week. Yeah, I mean, overall, yeah, I win three points, top of the table. That's that's as much as you can ask for in any game, and we got it. Um, go back to 20 minutes. I think I wrote down something about the referee giving us a free kick without actually looking. I think he had his bat to play, and then one of our players went down. Then he turned around and gave us a free kick, which I'm not complaining about, but surely they should actually see the decision, um, at least it would in our case. Um, I agree on Gravenberts. I think we need to just put him to one side for a bit. Um, is he really better than um, Curtis? Was he really better than Endo? I would say even today, in today's game, would he have been better um, not being the one um, taken off? You know, Endo, he said, Gravenberts. Um Alison Becker, wow. I mean, there's not much more to say. Just watch him. That's that's all you really need to say with Ali. Um, and talking of wow, Elliot's goal. I mean, what a goal. What a, a player to come in, um, to come on and to get that goal. And I just love the energy in that lad. Um, yeah, I didn't see the celebration. I'm going to have to go and watch that now. I was too busy celebrating myself. Um, good to hear an airing of... Um, Come all you faithful. It's always good to hear that. Although it was actually, <laughs> yeah. it was cut short today because Diaz scored, but it was given offside. Um, but never mind. Um, talking of Elliot as well, post match, the one bit of good coverage from TNT today, which didn't have a man, um, a male sort of journalist or presenter involved, was the post match Elliot and Salah interview on TNT. Go and have a watch of that because I just love the relationship between them two. This like dad and lad thing that they've got going on. It's just, it's just good to see. Um, and Sal is so sort of humble about it all, makes it even better. Um, as far as us are concerned, Scouts of Tommy's, we're hoping to get one in this week. I think we're going to try and do it on Friday, which is the day after I'm hoping that the kids have played in Europe and rested themselves, and the big boys are all rested, because then we play the Manx, which, funnily enough, isn't an early kickoff at the weekend for some reason. It must be that um, Merseyside Police must be better at dealing with crowds than... Manchester Police, maybe they're just too used to dealing with Man City's um, crowd, for lack of a better word. Um, and just finally, the last thought for me on this is, um, it was mentioned earlier, it's not the first time I've heard a story involving Roy's underkecks, and I'd rather not repeat that one I heard just now, but yeah, um, it's a horrible thought and it's just been brought back to me, so thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Truly disturbing um, image. Speaking I don't know if you've of, seen the message I've popped have, in there, Trev. I have, man. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna wrap it up with that because it's perfect. Dave has actually come across <laughs> a little bit of intelligence, which ties up beautifully our show for today because it brings in, it wraps in our man Fletch, who decided to go full nanny state at one point and apologise for the industrial language of the Palace fans, who apparently had called Harvey Elliott a cheating midget con. <laughs> so that, that, that possibly that possibly may as Dave suggests be why he had a little bit of extra sauce in his celebration but it is another 100 minute plus special from us three talkative chaps uh, hopefully you'll bear with it hopefully it'll give you a bit of extra entertainment as opposed to something to endure I think it tends to go that way with our listeners they're a loyal lot so hopefully you've enjoyed that from uh, Dave Hendrick from Jim Boardman from Guy Drinkle in the background and from myself Trev Denny this was raw it's a long one but you know what the Reds keep winning and it's Liverpool top of the league we hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show 
The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.